you know, when you take yourself out of the equation, what we need to remember as coaches is this is this is the player's journey. It's coming to an end for them at some point. You know, if we're fortunate enough to stick around and coach, like then we'll have it next year. A lot of these guys and their families don't. So this is about the players. This is about their families. It'll always be that way. The Holding Court Podcast is powered by Fundraising University Ohio. Fundraising University Ohio offers a variety of fundraising efforts that help basketball teams run profitable, effective, and fast-paced fundraisers designed to raise the most money in the shortest amount of time to reach their fundraising goals. Fundraising University Ohio is locally owned and operated, and with their six-step blitz system, will help your team maximize profits. As a former basketball coach himself, Brent Maxwell will sit down and help you pick, plan, strategize, and execute your fundraiser, which will allow you as a coach to devote more time to the other aspects of your program. If you're looking to take your fundraising efforts to the next level, contact Brent Maxwell at bmaxwell at fundraisingu.net or 740-501-8946 to learn more. Welcome to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Join hosts Adam Hall and Walt Serrato as they sit down with some of the biggest names in Ohio high school basketball and beyond. This show and all of our shows are available to listen to completely free anywhere that you can find podcasts. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get to it. Hello, it's Walt Serrato, and I'm excited to be joined by Mike Fuelein, the head men's basketball coach at the University of Mount Union in Alliance, Ohio. Coach, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm, I'm excited to do this. Okay, Coach, we're, uh, we want to switch things up a little bit tonight. Um, typically, we start at the beginning of a coach's resume and kind of work to the current day. We want to switch it up and kind of go backwards with yours and see how that goes. So. Okay. That's good with you. We'll start firing off questions at you. Sounds good. Okay, Coach. So you're coming off a run to the NCAA Division Three title game, which we'll talk about here shortly. Um, but catch us up to speed on what life looks like right now for, for Coach Fuelline heading into year 13 at Mount Union as students returning to campus is, is right around the corner. Uh, what's on your to-do list? Yeah, you know, once August comes around, you start to get excited. Um, I think this fall... For our guys, you know, there's some some veteran guys there. You know, we, we need to get back at it, it, it right when we get back in into school. Uh, make sure all of our incoming freshmen are settled in. And you know, Division three is it's it's so different than high school. The the toughest thing that I had to adjust with was really not having the summers with your team. You know, we're not allowed to be on the floor with them until October 15th. They actually changed the rule that we get eight days this year prior to the season uh, to be able to spend time and, and maybe even practice a little bit with our group. So planning those eight days out is essential for our staff, you know, getting, like I said, those, those incoming guys who are probably a little nervous, you know, coming into the situation, get them settled. Um, and then obviously getting our recruiting list together. You know, that's where the spring and the summer, you just start identifying guys who make sense for our program watch them try to start that relationship uh, get that recruiting process going into the into the upcoming season so you know those things take they take a lot of time i got the best staff there is who who do a lot of these things and and get the list together and you know we run a, a, some shootouts and some camps during the year we always enjoy doing that as a staff as well to get to see a lot of our friends who are coaches so the summertime is relaxing but the number one important thing um, it's just really to spend some time at home with your family. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate my wife is, is a teacher uh, for 22 years. So we get to spend this time with our, our children together and go on some vacations. And every night seems like, like an adventure as they've been getting older. So we've enjoyed the heck out of that. My staff has a lot of young children. And, uh, you know, it's just time to you, you have to get away from it. You know, you have to get away from your players. You have to get away from the game and just to kind of hit that that refresh button because that season, uh, like this past season was, uh, you know, that's a long six months. So coach, let's talk about that historic run you and the Purple Raiders pulled off this past season, making it to the the NCAA division three national title game in, in Fort Wayne that fell painfully short with the buzzer beater by Christopher Newport. Well, I'm sure that specific play stings and likely still will for a while. 
what, what was the message to your team in the locker room immediately following such an emotional moment and a frenetic ending to that game? Well, it, those things are never are never easy. Um, you know, whenever a season ends, even in the, in a national championship game, and and you and you don't win, you know, it's it's more upsetting that the season's over. So that group of guys will never be together. You know, again, it'll never be like that. Uh, but this team w- w- was different. You know, we recognized early on in the fall that they could be very special defensively, like really special. You know, our ability to guard the ball and block shots. But then, you know, every coach wants your team to be great defensively, but they they had some passion for it. They talked about it all the time. That's when I knew we were, we were going to have something pretty special. You know, I figured, you know, our offense would catch up, but, man, they, they were really willing to guard. So that was our emphasis, guys, all, all year. We never talked about winning and losing. You can go back and check any any interview with our players. That's what they would say. We're just we just want to be the best defensive team in the in the country. So we respected that process. Now, this is you know, especially for younger coaches, it's hard to. I, I can't be a hypocrite. Then you know, when we're not talking about results all year, then to overreact over the final one, although it being very big, I, I get that. But we were we were so into the process of, of just of just being great defensively, caring about each other, and then to see how far that took us. And it took us a basket away from from being a national champion. So you know, I get this all summer, and, and people are awesome. It's like they don't know how to talk to you about it. And it's I probably have taken it better than anyone I've spoke to, especially my father. You know, so um, because I just respected, I you know, I. I of the process of, of what it took to get there, the journey it's been to get to a final four. And, and if anybody watched and probably only 1% watched the semifinal game, you know, to win that game in the semi down 23 in the first half to fight like crazy. I've never been more proud of a basketball team in my life. I mean, just like some toughness and some, some dogs. We like to say, you know, especially to find a way to win that game. When that game's over on a Thursday night, you just kind of exhale, and the emotions were so high. We, I mean, we just gutted out a win. We were 0 of 18 from three. We finally hit the last one. It, it was incredible, and that's kind of what we do, just to find a way against an unbelievable Whitewater team. To win that game, you go into the championship game like, okay, you know, it, it's just a relaxing feeling, and, you know, you hope you make a few more shots, you know, some free throws. There's things I can't – haven't watched the full game yet. Watch them in, in, some, in some parts. But to say I'm disappointed would, would not be the case because we, we believed in a, the process of getting there. It sounds like coach speak, but it's the only way to get through it. You know, you just you just get through it by understanding that it's going to be your night, some nights, some nights it's not. But the ride that that group took all of our fans, our families on will we'll never be forgotten. I'm just so proud of them. So, Coach, I was able to catch up with you a little bit at Midwest Live in mid-June. And as you were back on the recruiting trail, um, how has the success you've experienced at Mountain Union impacted the recruiting process for you and your staff? Yeah, that's a great question. I think coming in, you know, you have certain expectations of of the player that you want to coach and, and who you think can succeed. Well, that, you know, that changes significantly. At the deeper you go, to try to win a league title in the OAC is incredibly difficult because of the great players and coaches in our league. I, I think it's the best league. I mean, uh, if not the best in the top three. And so the type of player that you have to have to compete on a day-to-day basis, it's just a very, very high-level player. So having gone through that, you know, for the, these 13 years, you know, it's like going to a, a great restaurant and you have a steak, an unbelievable steak, get some wine. And, you know, once you you taste that and you see it, like you, now you know what it tastes like. And it's the same thing with recruiting. You have to understand you know, there's so many good players out there. There's there's so many guys that we've had who probably could go star on other teams. So the taste, your your taste goes up to that, you know, to that fillet, man. It you know, so it's it's tougher to find, but but once you find them, it makes it that more rewarding. So I want to continue to work backwards here a little bit in your career. Um, let's talk about your 2019-2020 squad. Um, made it to the NCAA Division Three Sweet 16. You guys were riding a 19-game win streak before I mean, we all know what happened next. COVID brought the world to a screeching halt. Like so many of us coaches, you know, at that time, we're trying to cope with you know what comes next. We're watching the news every single day. What's the latest 
update from, you know, Governor DeWine. You know, we don't know when we can get back in the gym with our teams. What do you recall about that moment when you found out the tournament was canceled? Well, you know, to kind of go back, back into that. Once, once that tournament started, you know, we've been around athletics, you know, our whole lives and you just get a feel like there's a certain, it's hard to explain it to people who maybe haven't gone through that with their, with their son or as a player, or as a coach, but just a feel of this is uh, going to be pretty special. And, you know, we started that tournament and, and we were, you know, we were phenomenal. That, that team was rolling. It's a coach's dream to have everybody, especially those seniors playing at the top of their game. We were healthy. We got to host that next game in the Sweet 16. We we're looking forward to that. As good of a team as I've seen at Division Three level, to be quite honest with you. So, you know, I think that we came home from practice that night, and I, I was sitting in my living room with with my wife, and and that's when the NBA, you know, that's when that first started. You just started to hear the COVID thing, and by the next day, Coach Karras had come into to my office, and he's like, "Hey, you know, this is getting kind of weird, but you're going to have to limit." seating to like 125 people so i had to go back and tell our players like hey this is you know this is i don't understand it i'm supposed to have all the answers i do not but you know we, we're gonna have to limit you know two to three of your family members to get into the game and that was hard man i mean our guys I mean, my point guard nate the bomber told me he goes if my mom isn't here i'm not playing i said listen man your mom will be here I'll, she'll be here before me because you're you're playing then it went into you know, Coach Karras coming into my office and, and Wittenberg's on the floor practicing and just kind of tears in his eyes, man. It's just, hey, Mike, it's it's canceled. And you know, that's when you found out that, you know, Division One tournament was canceled, Division Two, uh, these poor high school teams who are going to be playing for state championships. And and he got tears in his eyes. It was his last year as AD and told me it's the best team he's ever seen. And, you know, we both kind of looked at each other and it was an emotional time. And then you have to go face your bed. You know, you got to go face them. And they were all eating. We brought them back. It was not, um, you know, you're going to go through things as a leader. You're going to go through things, uh, life and death things, you know. And, and by no means was this even comparable to that. But it was tough. The hardest thing was, you know, once you say goodbye, you know, our people are telling us they have, you have to go home. Like, they got to go home, pack your things, and then you don't get to see them. So you just, you know, we preach family. And in the biggest moment of their lives, I'm not able to be there with them and really not see them for about two or three months. So, you know, it's just something you'll never forget. You can't make it up. Like you can't even, you can't make it up. To go back to, to the earlier question, that's what made this this season so special, you know, is, is to be able to, to experience that. And with some of the same guys that were on that, on that basketball team was, was rewarding. That, that made it feel good. You know, but that team may go down as Walt. I'm telling you, probably the that's one of the best Division Three basketball teams that, that that there was. They were playing at a very very high level. I, I couldn't even screw them up. I'm telling you, I think they were <laughs> they were gonna they were gonna roll. But um, you know, life throws things at you, and we were all scared. You know, it went from sadness to a little nervous, of like what the heck's going on? And then we all experienced the same thing. So. That's a tough one, man. And for as hard as that one, the year after was even tougher because we only got to play like 11 games. And, you know, these guys are in houses and quarantined. And I mean, it was it was miserable. It was a miserable time for everyone. You know, we're just glad we're past that. Well, let's go back to kind of the genesis of, of where this all started at Mountain Union. You know, it's spring of 2011. Um, you get the opportunity to make to make that big leap from the high school sidelines to the college sidelines, and you're named the men's head basketball coach at Mount Union. Um, you know, at this time, in 2011, the, the men's program at Mount Union had not experienced a, a whole lot of success. Um, it was really the football team uh, that, that, that put Mount Union Athletics on the map. Um, you know, they were the powerhouse. Um, you know, making that leap from coaching high school to college is a big deal. And I'm sure there was some level of uncertainty for you. What do you recall about that process and how things fell into place? Yeah, it was, you know, it was a unique process. Um, you know, after winning that the state championship, you know, we won it in 2010. The group I had at, uh, coming back at Jackson in 2011, they were all juniors who really didn't play a ton of, of minutes other than, than uh, you know, Michael Shaw. And we, and we won the league. It was the most gratifying year of coaching. 
that you can imagine. You know, just guys that just were so good and talented, but had had to kind of wait because the group ahead of them were so talented as well. So we were we were thrilled. We got beat in the district championship. We we're hungry to come back the next year. And a guy named Denny Rose, who I, who I had known a long time, called me one night. And um, you know, his daughter had played at Mount Union. I knew him from my days at Green, and he's a big Mount Union supporter and alum, and played there. And basically said, "Hey, Mike, I think this would be a great opportunity for you." And I just kind of chuckled a little bit. I said, oh, "Denny, I, I I don't know about that." I said, "You know, I'll, I'll think about it and consider it." Well, the next night, Larry Karras calls me. Of course, everybody knows who he is, and I had never really spoke to him before. And we talked for like an hour and a half on the phone. And he said, well, just come up. You know, I want you to come up and, and check out the campus. And, and that led to a two, almost a two day grueling interview um, that not a lot of people probably had, had gone through. And, you know, it got me excited. And our administration at Jackson, they were tremendous. You know, they, they brought me in and I, you know, I was upfront with them from the beginning and they kind of laid out that my next 10 to 15 year plan at Jackson. And it was awesome. I mean, just incredible, but it also scared me a bit, you know, and just wanted to try, try something else. And I knew I had an unbelievable group of people, staff, support group that would be under Tim DeBevick who would keep that thing going. So, you know, for us to take that jump as a family, you know, I knew my Jackson family would then have some opportunities to keep that going. and, And they have done that you know, extremely well. So I, you know, I, you get there and go through these interviews. And the biggest question is, Hey, it's a big jump. How can you recruit? How can you recruit? How can you recruit? And it's just something I kept hearing all the time. I finally got a little frustrated. I said, I, I don't know. I'm just going to be myself and look people in the eye and tell them the truth. And either that's going to be good enough or it's not. And we have lived by that for 13 years and, you know, believed in what we believe in. And, uh, you know, I, I don't regret it you know, a, a second. I mean, it's been an enjoyable experience. The biggest thing, you know, that got me motivated is when Larry Karras chooses you as a high school coach, because it's it's hard because I think high school coaches would do great, especially at this level. But, you know, there's a lot of people who just believe it should be someone with college experience and this and that. Well, it took a guy like Larry to basically say, oh, I'm going to hire who I want, who I want to hire. And, um, and that doesn't happen very often anywhere. And, you know, so that was, he believed in me and every game we win is in my heart, it goes to him because just trying to make him look good. I tell him all the time, man, and just trying to, you know, make you proud and and make you, you know, never regret that decision of how we act, how we play. And and hopefully we've done that. Uh, That's great. So, you know, we mentioned earlier, you know, the, the, the men's basketball program at Union had a lot of rebuilding ahead when you took over. So in just your third season, your team, your team wins the OAC regular season title. Can you kind of compare and contrast, especially, you know, we have a lot of high school coaches that listen, kind of compare and contrast ideas that worked rebuilding at the high school level versus rebuilding at the college level? Yeah, really different, um, you know. In college, you have the benefit of changing things from year to year by the recruits you bring in. You know, you can you can make that early impact. Now with the transfer portal, I mean, there's a lot of outs, so to speak. In high school, it's developing your own program. It's developing your own players. It's developing a culture of what you want, what your vision, what it needs to look like, how how you see it, and and then acting on that. So you know, rebuilding is always going to have a little bit of luck. When I went to, to Rootstown, I know we'll get into that later, but you know we were fortunate to have some really good athletes at that time. When I got to Jackson, I knew that there was a special group in seventh grade with some size and some guards and a whole mixture, um, some incredible families uh, who got it. You know, so that process of getting there, you know, I don't know if I like the term rebuild. I don't know if it was a, a rebuild. I mean, I think. Sometime, you know, Jackson was an incredible program with Larry, but then you go through some strings where, you know, you just don't have the same talent that a lot of the coaches who are listening, they get that, right? So you're just trying to go through the process of not taking shortcuts and, and getting to a point where that talent meets your your beliefs and your culture and your values. And like those two come together and meet. When that happens, you're prepared and you're ready to go as far as you possibly can. In the college level, it was it was kind of the same thing. I was fortunate to have two incredible guys 
who were returning. Uh, TJ Gillespie and Jimmy Darnley uh, were incredible, incredible leaders. And they wanted to see that thing change. And I met with them probably every day. They led our team our first year at Mount. We got our butts kicked. I got my butt kicked. Uh, it was a clinic on in coaching 101. And it just opened your eyes like we have to get so much better. I have to get better. And we did, man. We got a really good class that would come in. Um, actually, the second year made it to the OEC championship game and lost in overtime for a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. And I've never won anything in my life, not even the state championship, as bad as I won to win a league title at Mount Union because it, it was, you know, one in, you know, 40 years or whatever. And, um, and that year we did. I mean, I made myself physically sick. I mean, at the end of the season, doctor's offices every other day because I wanted that so bad. And it was so hard, so hard to do. I wanted it so bad for those guys and, and the guys who, you know, stuck around and, and believed in me and our staff. So, you know, so then once you do that, it's not like the rebuild's complete. Now it's like, oh, man, now we have to get to the tournament. Keep climbing. And then we yeah. thought in 2019, we the pinnacle we talked about that. So that made this, you know, we made it to the final four. That's that's awesome. Now, what Larry would tell you is, can you sustain it? Like, my goodness, the way I said, heck no, not like you guys can, but, uh, you know, that we're, we're going to try. You know, I think rebuilding is, it, it's tough in high school, right? You just have to be realistic. You know, as a father who have sons and daughters who play, just have to have realistic goals, you know? And, and I think if you do that, then you're always building in that positive direction. So one of the big changes in your job description, you know, going from high school to college, you've already touched on it here a few times already, is is that recruiting piece. Mm -hmm. You know, we spoke off air and you shared a wonderful story that I, I'm hoping you'll you'll share here with our listeners. But you know, what were some of those first recruiting trips like? And what have you learned about the recruiting process these past 13 years? It, it's never ending. You know, it's, it's just never, it's never ending. It, it's, um, it's a constant evaluation. I mean, Walt, I'll be honest with you. And I know many other coaches in our level, it's the same thing. I mean, there's 25 to 30 emails a day with just, you know, people who know a player and film. And it, it's just so hard. Like it's, it's completely overwhelming and you want to respond. I mean, they're heartfelt emails. I mean, but I'm telling you, there's a hundred to 200. You can't get to every, everything. Right. So, mm -hmm. At the Division three level, it's tough because, you know, non-scholarships, a lot of people think they can play at this level. And I'm sure many of them of them can. So just try to define, you know, early on, I had, my first assistant coach was a, a guy named Cole Pittis. He was incredible. Ended up going to Bradley as an assistant coach and, and working at Akron U and Coach Dan Bryden for years. And um, he would set up my, my weekly calendar. And then he would call my wife and say, here's where he's got to be. And I, I mean, it was every, every night. Now it has definitely slowed down, you know, since then, but you know, he, he had a mentality, we need to get better. And that group of guys who came that year was one of the best groups that, you know, we've ever had collectively. They've all, their weddings are like every other year now and children. And, you know, so it's kind of cool. Um, you know, but th that first year, I mean, my first <laughs> recruiting visit, was with uh, a young man named Nate, Nate Jack back in. Uh, he, he's going to be a first. Uh, he'll be a Hall of Famer whenever he's eligible for that. Youngstown guy, you know, he knew my Uncle Joe. And so we're having this visit and I'm talking to his mom and just really excited because he, he's really good. And we're walking around the track. I think we only got halfway around it. She's crying. I'm looking, I'm like, what's wrong? And she told me that like, Mike, you're, you're not going to be here. You're going to leave to go somewhere else. And I said, Nancy, I, I've I've never even coached a basketball game yet. I, I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going anywhere. You know. So, um, so those are the things. You're just constantly. There's so many little things that you're you're trying to to fight through. Because as a father now, and Anthony kind of going through some of these processes, you, you just see quality people, and that's all you care about. You know, you can show me the buildings, and and that's cool, and the schedule, and at the end of the day, you know, you want to trust your, your son or daughter with somebody who you think is going to help develop them. And beyond me, my assistants, you know, my assistant coaches, again, are incredible. The relationships they form with these guys for the rest of their lives, you know, it just makes everything valuable and, and, and worth it. So, you know, recruiting is, it, it, it's fun during the season, 
it's difficult because we're playing our games on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and, and then we're off the games Tuesdays and Fridays all over the place. So it's it's never ending. And then obviously, you know, we, we're everywhere where we need to be, certainly during during the spring and the summer as well. So, so you mentioned it, the, the stop before Mount Union. You know, you're six seasons at, at Jackson High School. While you're there, your, your team's won the Federal League twice. You finished in the top five in the state of Ohio academic team all six years. You take a youth program of under 100 kids to nearly 600 by the time you're all said and done. You pile up 96 wins and you delivered, you mentioned it briefly earlier, you delivered what many in Jackson Township are probably most proud of, the team's first ever state championship in 2010. Um, I I was fortunate enough to be in the crowd that weekend um, for both the semifinal and and the state title game. And there's a few things that stick out in my memory that I I just had to bounce off you. What what I remembered and see what you thought. Um, first of all, that, that state title game in Smoller, there was a lot of purple in those stands and not a whole lot of blue and yellow, blue and gold from a Moeller. The second one was uh, still to this day, I think one of the best plays I've ever seen in a high school game live was the alley-oop off the backboard from, <laughs> from Brad DuPont to Josh Egner in the game against Kahana Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And then the last memory sticks in my mind, and you could speak to this one or you can let it go. I wouldn't fault you if you let it go. Um, The collective groan from the crowd when the PAA announcer announced the state champions as Maslin Jackson. What do you recall? What do you remember about that weekend and that team's run to the state title? Well, it's sort of the same thing that we had talked about prior to this past year in the Final Four. It's that process to get to that point. What people don't realize is the summer of that year, prior to that year, we were unbelievable. Well, I mean, we were unbelievable. We were, uh, we, we won the Ohio State shootout. We go to Michigan. We win the Michigan shootout. John Beeline puts together a freshman incoming class with like, I think it was Trey Burke, maybe or Hardaway, I forget who is, to play his freshman. There's everyone surrounding us. Like we just played four straight games and we're like, I look at DuPont, I'm like, man, you guys are straight to roll there. I mean, he, punched me in my chest so hard. I think I, I still have a bruise, but um, he's like, no, we're playing. Well, we play and we lose like at the buzzer. And it was, it was just an incredible summer as the season started and, and rolled out. We just never got to that point of where we were in the summer. You know, we were winning games, but um, you could just kind of, I was starting to get frustrated. And then once that like January, February game, or uh, I think it was a Timpkin game and uh, we were kind of like sleepwalking through that. And then at halftime, I just kind of, you know, lost my mind, which I don't do very often. And and we just like just sparked it. And at the end of the game, just like, fellas, that's it. That's what it looks like. So I think they had so much pressure of, of winning and getting to Columbus that once we got there, it was the most calm group of people, coaches. When I tell you there was not one butterfly in my stomach, there was no nerves whatsoever. And that play that you're talking about from Brad to Josh, that epitomizes that group of men that year and how we played, how we felt at that time. I mean, we're up eight and I'm like in my head, don't do it. Don't do it. And I saw Brad's <laughs> eyes and, and he did it, you know, but at that point the game was essentially over. I mean, the, the crowd went crazy, but that's how loose that group was, man. Hardest part was waiting a whole, you know, 24 hours to play that night. And like you said, a sea of purple and uh, maybe the best defensive performance I've ever seen, especially in that third quarter. I think we held them scoreless, you know, in the third quarter to that final 20 seconds. So, you know, th- those memories, w- when you live them and you experience them, it's great in the moment. But as the years go by, you just appreciate them so much more. I, I, I'll never forget, you know, they have this pep rally in in – you know, and at the in the shot right after the game, where all the fans go up to this big room, and it is packed, and people are crying, and, and there's hugs going on, and that's what makes you feel good. And I told our guys, like, this is why you do it. You know, you're in a parade, you make people, you give joy to your families, you give joy to the community, you've made memories. Sure, it feels good for us, but it's more importantly, look at look at everyone having a good time. You've created this this atmosphere, and they they did that. You know. Unbelievable, you know, during the ceremony. I'm sure I, I don't even know what happened until they told me afterwards, say, Maslin Jackson. But, you know, at that point, you know, I didn't care. They could have called us anything they wanted. We we're just thrilled, <laughs> you know. But, well, here's the here's the crazy part, too. It's the same thing, you know, after this, what we experienced the March this year is 
there there's an emptiness even after a win of like I remember Josh Shagner, you know, all the we're, we're just heading to the locker room after all the celebrations and like depressed. And he's the only guy that really like he I knew what he felt like we weren't going to be able to play again. You know, we we're yeah. playing our best basketball and then it's just it's just over. And um, that's hard, you know, for a group that really loves each other and and, and just, you know, the road ended. So let's talk about the success story, right? And, and like so many success stories, yours at Jackson started with humble beginnings. One of your first league games with the Polar Bears was against the powerhouse Camp McKinley Bulldogs, a team that I believe went on to win the state championship that year. And the score was 99 to 40. So as you reflected and you kind of take inventory where your program was at during that time, what were your primary objectives to try to close that gap? Well, well, the biggest thing that needed to happen, all those guys needed to graduate. Uh, Kufis needed to graduate. Kenny Freeze needed to graduate. CJ McCall. I mean, you could go on and on. If you look during that that six year period of when you know we were at Jackson, the talent level was was unbelievable. Yeah. The Evans brothers. I mean, you can Coldblitz. You can go on and on. I mean, it's it's been talked about, and that's when Timken was loaded with Rick's team. So. We needed those guys to graduate. That's what needed to happen first. Uh, that particular game, I remember vividly being on the sidelines and places packed, obviously, at the field house. And I'm watching them warm up and there's no smiles or joking around. Like it was business for them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this ain't going to be great. <laughs> so, you know, we're trying to run some prints and stuff just to stay in it. And it's 12 to 8 in the first quarter. I, I believe we're winning four minutes ago. And Dave Hoover calls a, a timeout, and I'm in there. You know, I'm 29, 30 years old. I told you, just hang in there. We're going to be all right. And I think the final, the first quarter score to be like 32 to 12. We didn't score again. But the other thing I remember is one of the most talented players that I coached against was a guy named Johnny Davis. And he was playing JV that year for them as a sophomore. And he had a alley-oop dunk to put it at 99 to 40. And but I mean, I'm half kidding, but it was so good. That talent level, you just needed things. We needed to get a lot better and, and we needed some of those guys to, to get out of there, you know, and, and that's what kind of right. happened. They, you have to be like we talked about. If you have to be really talented at the right time, that group, I mean, we didn't win anything. We, we lost the federal league the year prior in 09 to Hoover and they beat us in the district championship game by two or three points. So, you know, we just wanted, it wasn't like we were like this juggernaut. We just wanted to learn how to win. And, um, you know, that McKinley game, I remember top a lot, a good friend of mine. Now I had just gotten to know him, you know, obviously his sons went on to be in Dodge, great careers. And he texted me like, Hey, like, you know, some of these people are like impressed that we hung in there for that long. Please tell me you're not that guy because I'm moving if that's the case. And I just start laughing. I'm like, hell no. We just lost by 50 points, you know. So, but it's, you know, it's it's that journey that makes the ending, you know, so much better for sure. Absolutely. So Coach, I, I firmly believe that a lot of people have those, those fork in the road moments when they look at their careers, especially us as coaches. So I, I had read that in that spring of 2005, you're in the pool candidates for the head boys job at Jackson. And you call athletic director Terry Peterson to withdraw your name from consideration for the job. Um, Mr. Peterson convinces you to stick with it. Obviously, we all know what happened next and in the years to come. You know, you were coming off two highly successful seasons at Roochtown. You just won a district title. You were named the Ohio Coach of the Year. Probably safe to assume that a foundation for continued success was laid there. Take us back to you remember about that time, and, and would you say that's your biggest fork in the road moment of your coaching career? Oh, without question. I, I loved being at Rootstown so much. Everything that I envisioned that I wanted my career to look like it was there. I, I, you know, I was teaching English and coaching in a small town. I grew up in Manchester. It reminded me of that. The families were unbelievable. You know, everyone was a multi-sport athlete. I loved it. I loved every second about it. So when the job opened up, I never really even applied for it. It was the last day and I got a couple calls, but Frank Lapica called me and, um, you know, I had gone to his camps. We've known his family for a while and, and just said, Hey, I think you should just put in for the job. Well, I didn't want that to kind of get out. I had my whole team pretty much coming back from the year prior at, at Rootstown. And so I talked to our AD and our principal and I said, I, let me just put in for this. I, I'm not going to get it, but let me put in. So I put in for it and long story short, 
it's down to the final three, me being the third, and I have zero problem saving that uh, with the guys that were, were in the candidate pool. But I know the I knew the interview went well. I, I, I did. I, I got along with everybody. I didn't know anybody really there, and uh, but got along with them very well. Well, it was May 17th, you know, and, and my wife's grandmother passes away in the morning. She goes into labor in the afternoon, and, and Anthony's born, right? And I'm supposed to have an interview that night. And so I go out in the parking lot. I mean, I'm like happy. I'm sad. I'm probably half crying, right? The Italian's coming out of me. And um, I call Terry and he's on the golf course. I say, hey, you guys have been awesome. Like, I, I just, I don't want to do this. I, I don't think I even want to leave. You got two great candidates. I wish you the luck. And he goes, Mike, please just come in today. I'm telling you, I, I think they're going to turn it down. I'm like, okay. So I go into this interview. I they said I only had to stay for like 30 or 40 minutes and wrinkled mess with the tie on and, you know, the hospital bracelets. And I don't even know if they got a question. on. I just started talking, you know, all these emotions are running through me and basically like we're talking right now. Like if you want me, let me know. If not, then you know, I wish yeah. you guys the best of luck. And, um, you know, to their credit, they knew something that I didn't know. And again, it's kind of like the Larry thing. They just took a, a chance on a guy that had been coaching for two years, and and you know it, it it just it worked out. It you know it was it was tough. You know I think we'll get into that later. But those people at Richtown is and those families it was so difficult to leave. And you know I broke their hearts. Like the, I had to finish that school year up. Every lunch I had thirty kids in my room. Our players girlfriends and, and my room was empty man those last four weeks until about the final mm -hmm. week and they started to come around and um, yeah. whenever we played on a Saturday that whole team would come up to Jackson and, and watch the games and that team probably would have beat my team at Jackson really you know that that first year they were so talented so that's hard you let people down yeah here I you know you mm -hmm. preach and family and being there for each other and then you know I up and, and leave but the major reason why really it was is you know Amy, we were having our second child. I still lived in Manchester. That drive to Rootstown every day was, you know, was tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jackson was was ten minutes down the road, so sure. that was a major thing. And and obviously getting the coach against, you know, if you look who was coaching in the federal league at that time, you're gonna learn or you're gonna get embarrassed. So it, was, it sounded like a great opportunity. Yeah. So let's let's dive into that time at, at Rootstown, your first head coaching stop. You know, you, you'd cut your teeth and paid your dues as an assistant coach. Um, walk us through how landing that first head coaching job materialized. You know, and you had mentioned it briefly, you know, some of our listeners may not realize that you taught, uh, you were a teacher, I believe, uh, language arts for mm -hmm. 13 years. You know, was it one of those situations where the teaching job came first and the coaching job just came with it or was it vice versa? Yeah. So, you know, I was with Mark uh, Kinsley, who we'll talk about in depth a little later on, but, um, you know, I was at green and it, you know, that I, it was time, you know, it was time for me to, to take a chance. And you know, I interviewed for uh, a few jobs and, and, and actually crazily got offered them, but Rootstown was the first one uh, that had called. And here's how Rootstown interviewed. They'll tell you this. They had an English opening and they had like 70 candidates. It was different back then. You know, a lot of these jobs were coveted, you know, that as the now you get five or six candidates and things like that. So they took all the resumes that didn't have English on it. And I think there was three of us left. And, and somehow, I, you know, I got it. I didn't know who was going to be on the team. I didn't know what who was coming back from the team. I just was so excited to have a head coaching job um, and to be able to put some of, you know, those thoughts in my head, what I wanted to do by watching some of the guys who were my idols kind of growing up and to see it put into action a little bit. And when I got there, I, I was beyond blessed to have a couple of really good players, but a lot of great athletes, you know, a lot of football players, a great soccer player, Michael Bolin. And I remember this, there was Adam Dye was kind of like the first teamer coming back. And our AD was like, Hey man, he's, you know, he's kind of be tough to talk to. He can kind of be arrogant and things like that. I'm like, Oh, and I'm 26 years old. Right. So I'm like, well, where is he? I didn't even know what he looked like. He's over there. So I come to the school just to meet with the team, and I take him alone in a hallway. I'm like, listen, man, either you're going to trust me or you're not, but it's going to be decided right now because we're not going to waste time. And 
I don't know what made me say it. It wasn't planned, but like I was yelling at him and I had just, he looked at me like this crazy little Italian guy's nuts, you know? And that's how that group, that's how that group was. Um, I mean, they just, oh, were relentless defensively and, you know, fortunate enough to win that second year, win the league and then win the district championship, which was unbelievable to go play at the field house. They had never been to the field house before. You know, taking wow. that trip the night before and going and eating at the stable, like all the things that I dreamt of doing with the team, uh, that group did. But uh, they believed in family. Their families were so supportive. One or one or like I thought that that was. I actually thought that that's how you know everyone had it. I mean, come to find out, it's not always. You know, it's not always that easy. But what a great experience that was for me and my family. So let's continue work backwards a little bit. You had spent seven years uh, moving up the ranks as, as various assistant coaches at, at Ravenna and, and Green High School starting in 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a question I, I love to ask coaches. What was a younger, more impressionable <laughs> Coach Fueline like then in contrast to a more seasoned version of yourself now? I don't know how seasoned I am, but I, I remember being very emotional before every game, like getting our guys to a a mindset of they were going to be ready to go, you know, and, and I'm still like that to this day, but as you get older, you know, you start to realize that you only got so many screams left, you know, in, in the tank. But I always believed in the same types of thing. I learned from my uncle Joe's teams. Uh, he was the head coach at Struthers for years. And I was at Youngstown state my first year. I just would go watch, you know, them practice. And, and, and that's how I cut my teeth, just learning and asking questions and watching film with them. Then to, I went to Kent State the following year and knew I wanted to coach and didn't know where to, to go. And the guy named Mark Kinsley gets the Ravenna High School job. And I heard about it through the grapevine. I go and met with him and got the job as, a, as his freshman coach. And then he promoted me to be his assistant and followed him to green. And he gave me so many opportunities to learn. He put me in charge of the defense. And, and that's where I learned to watch film. We would watch film. Well, like It was unbelievable. We would grade every player after every game. You know, So that's how... You start to learn. I would go watch the Stowe teams with Dave Close. Like you just, you know, man, I want my teams to run and jump like that. And that's what we did, you know, at, at Rootstown. You know, you'd go watch Randy's teams at, at Troway in North Canyon. You go figure out, like, man, that's that's kind of, you start putting these pieces together. You know, being seasoned is just experience. You know, just have more experience mm-hmm. and then more ability to adapt. I think the biggest thing, the seasoning for me, and even Mark and I had talked about this is being a father. You become more empathetic of, you know, of families who, you know, a, a guy is not playing enough or my guy that the, the worst was cutting kids. And when I was at Jackson, I just, it just was absolutely brutal. So, you know, now you're a father and, you know, you, you have a child who gets cut or, you know, this guy isn't getting shots or passes. And so you have empathy, you know, you learn to, to understand a little bit of the other side of that as well. So that's where the seasoning comes in place too. You're just more conscientious. I'll remember this. I'll tell you a great story. So we're 14 and one at Rootstown and I'm living, right? I'm 27 years old. This stuff is easy. Everyone, they love me. Like, this is great. I go to my mailbox and I have a letter to me. I'm like, oh, look at this. Some fan mail. This is unbelievable. I go up to my office. I open it and it's a grandpa of one of our players telling me, pretty much how bad of a human being I am. I'm ruining his his grandson's senior year. And, you know, he was probably like our 10th or 11th man. And I mean, I just remember the feeling. Of, a handwritten note he puts oh, in the yeah. note to you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, this is 20 years ago, and I still – so I immediately, you know, call the grandpa and I get somebody to cover my class, and I go meet him at McDonald's, and I'm like, hey, this is more than just – you know, I know you feel bad, but this is about winning and losing. This is, you know, but that's when I learned that you will never, ever make everybody happy. And that every mm-hmm. single time I went home after a win to this day, I, I even on my way home from Mount Union after game to my house in Jackson, that I, in my mind, I'm like, all right, who are the three to four people who are upset tonight? You know, who, mm-hmm. how many families, whether you just won the biggest game or not, because <laughs> and as a coach, like you just have to accept that. That was the hardest part for me is the, that, you know, not having people understand the main goal is just to kind of win the game that day. And but that taught me a lot. That taught me a lot. It, it threw me back and knocked the wind out of me. But that's when you start to get a little tougher and just 
realize this is the profession we have chosen. And, you know, it, it comes with some of those things, some of those negative things for sure. Well, coach, you know, you're one of the few, few coaches we've had on here. There, there's not a whole lot of coaches who have experienced coaching a final four, both the high school and the collegiate level. Um, you know, and speaking to you off air, you, you talked about the perspective and it, that this has given you and your last answer just, just covered that perfectly. Um, you know, as you look back on these experiences. So if you were appointed the czar of Ohio high school basketball, you know, you, you get a phone call from the OHSA and one day say, Hey, uh, we just need some new direction here. We got to go somewhere different. You know, what are some things that you would address or change about Ohio high school basketball? Yeah. You know, I think uh, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it because I, you know, I, I watch so many games and, you know, and then following my children and who, who play in high school as well. And, you know, I just feel pretty passionately about the shot clock coming in into play, you know, at, at our level. You know, in 2010, we went to San Diego for a, a Christmas trip and it was eight of the better teams in the country. Well, Mentor was down there as well. You know, so we were opposites. We didn't want to play each other. Well, of course, they upset a team. We upset a team. We meet in the finals and we play this game. I think we're up 15 or 18, but it had a, they had a shot clock. We played with the shot clock down there. It just changed the whole game. And I fell in love with it. And mm-hmm. I think I believe that the players will fall in love with it at the high school level. The coaches will fall in love with it at the high school level. I just it makes it more enjoyable to watch. I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say we love coming to Mount Union games. Just the pace of play, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's just up and down. And and I understand that there's some other sides to it. Um, I just personally believe that the best way to go is is to have a shot clock. And if it were me, I would extend the game. You know, I sometimes you go to these games, it tip offs at seven fifteen. I'm in my car, you know, at eight twenty. It's just, it's mm-hmm. nuts. So I would go two halves. I would go 18 minute halves with a shot clock of 35 seconds and, and let these guys go, go play and girls and let them go mm-hmm. compete. Nobody wants to see somebody hold the ball and, you know, or, or run a minute and a half of offense. And you know, this, this is meant to be a player's type of game, you know? So, and then the last thing I would change, and this will get me in trouble, but you know, I'm nostalgic <laughs> for Columbus as a state tournament, I know there's 800 different things that happen. And my goodness, Dayton's the pinnacle of basketball. There's so many people that love it there. It's a great gymnasium. I just, you know, I, my father's getting older and I'm my uncles. And that was just a weekend, right? Not only for the few lines, but for thousands of people who just knew where to go, where, where they were staying, where they're going to have some beverages, you know, between games. And, um, you know, it's just kind of a little heartbreaking, you know, that, that those days are gone and, you know, eventually we'll get to Dayton, you know, and, and maybe start that, that process. But, you know, you asked me if I was the czar that those would be the things that I would change. So coach, anyone, it's come through a lot of your answers here, which hasn't surprised me at all. Um, but, but anyone who knows you or has had any time to spend around you and your team knows how important family is to you. You and your wife, Amy, like you mentioned, you have five children, your father, Dan, as well as your uncle, Joe Fueline who you affectionately call the old Italians. Um, they, they've been a staple on the sidelines with you. How do you strike that balance between coach, husband, dad, son, nephew? Well, you know, again, we all grew up differently. I grew up in a place where every Sunday, right, you went to church, you ate spaghetti, you fought, you yelled at each other, and then like kind of the days down to go do that again. And family to me has always been just bigger than than immediate families just surrounding. So when I was going to be a head basketball coach, we were going to be a family. Like this is going to be our basketball family. I, when I got the Rootstown job, you know, we had t-shirts made for every player, parent, grandparent, sibling, said Rover family. And a lot of those, I get texts all the time uh, of pictures of guys who still have those shirts and they believed in it. Well, I mean, they believed in what that meant. And what that meant was like, we're going to have tough days, but we're going to have each other's back, man. Like we, mm-hmm. we're going to love each other. We're going to care about each other. And then you have to live that. Like, it's one thing to print it out and, and say it, but you got to live it. You have to be able to understand in your families 
have to be able to understand like this is a big part of what we're doing. When I first got to Jackson, I tried the same thing. Now there's hundreds of people at that meeting, you know, and and we did it and it didn't work out the first year. So there was no more family T-shirts until they realized what that meant. It wasn't about winning and losing all the time, but it was about how are we going to overcome when things adversity? How are we going to treat other people? Are you going to talk about other people's kids in the stands? Like it just wasn't going to happen until that was fixed. We were going to, you know, we were just going to be, we'll just have regular t-shirts. So um, the biggest part, especially for coaches coming up to embrace, you know, culture is a big word now for us. It'll always be family is that our, as coaches, our families have to understand and be a part of it. My wife from day one, She'd film my freshman games with the recorder on her shoulder and she loved it, you know, and my, my, my children loved it. Like if you would have seen the final four this year and to see our coaches, they all have young kids and to see them, my, my children are older, painted in purple and just excited after a win, bawling their eyes out after a loss. That's what you need to have because when you have that and you feel it, you know, that kind of spreads throughout your entire program. Um, so family, is, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For me, it's just the love, no matter what, through thick and thin, winning a state championship or losing at the buzzer doesn't change the family. But I think a lot of people say it, but you got to live it. You got to live it every single day. And I fail at that at times. There's no, I mean, it's, there's not every player in the world isn't going to love you and believe in that. But man, there's a lot that do and who need it especially at the level where I'm at and, and the place I'm at now. So that's how I'm going to coach to the day they tell me not to coach anymore. That's going to always be first. And then there's not going to be a whole lot of seconds. So what I would say to young couples is you better marry somebody who loves it, <laughs> who loves it with you, you know, because mm -hmm. if they do, they're going to be a part of it. They're going to enjoy it, man. They're going to enjoy going out and having some dinners afterward and, and, and enjoying the moments and the heartbreaks and just kind of being together. And, and when that happens, you know, players feel that, communities feel that, and everybody gets on board. I love that, Coach, because, I, I, I mean, one of the things, like, I don't know, a motto that I've always loved when it comes to coaching, teaching, really anything when you have influence over someone else, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. And if, if your players and those people you have influence over believe that you care about them like family, it's just going to fall into place. And it sounds like it has for you in your career. And that's, that's awesome. Absolutely. So Mike, now we'd like to transition to a segment we call triple threat. We're going to give you three topics and let you share thoughts, ideas, experiences, or suggestions with our listeners. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one. If you could pick only one characteristic for a recruit to possess, what would it be and why? You get these a lot. And I mean, let's just be honest. You have to, to get inside the door, you, you have to be talented. I mean, that's just, just the way life works, right? So, you know, if you're a talented guy and you're able to play at the next level, you're able to play and you fit our eye and our culture, we care about one thing. Like you're going to be surrounded. You're going to be around my children and family, my coach's young children. So we have to be able to, like, you got to be a great role model for them. You got to be a great role model for our community. You got to represent the university because you're representing our Mount Union family, our basketball family. We, we don't take that lightly, but that's the characteristic. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot that goes, that goes into that. I could tell you guys this, that, you know, we're, we're not perfect. We've had guys in the past that just, it just doesn't click, right? And I don't even have to say anything. They just, like, it's just an awkward position for them to be in, you know, to get a hug and uh, tell someone you love them. It's just an awkward position and, and they leave, you know, we, and then we just move on. So you either kind of fit into that or you fit out of that, basically. So, you know, it's kind of maybe a harsh way to, harsh way to say it, but that's, you know, that's what we believe in. So outside of maybe the more obvious answer of, of size and speed, what's the biggest difference you see between a Division three collegiate player and a Division one collegiate player? Well, it's that. I mean, it, I mean, the Division three level, there's so many skilled players that may be 6'2 instead of 6'8 with a seven-foot wingspan. I mean, it is complete size, you know, and, and some quickness. It is not 
there is not a skill level. I've had shooters and guards that I would put up against anyone, anywhere, anytime, you know, and I, I have a, a, an incredible big man right now who's six, six, if he was six, 10, we'd all be watching him on TV, you know? So it, it is, I mean, it's, it's DNA, right? It's size. You know, those are the biggest characteristics, the love for the game, the ability to shoot, pass and dribble is at some points, even a little higher, you know, than what it would be at a divisional level, but they're just, some of these guys just are, you know, they're five eleven, six one, six two, and that's okay. You know, I think that's okay. And they, they want that full college experience. You know, we don't take their summers and, and things like that. You're a true student athlete when you're at the division three level. Hey coach, last one. What is your second favorite color behind purple? I don't think I'm allowed to have a second favorite color. You know, <laughs> you, know you, you roll it. You they, say, you know, maybe red or black going back to your Manchester days. I, I do. Purple, it, it would, it would be black. I mean, that, that combination of purple and black is pretty great. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of purple that has never got gotten rid of here. So we, we kind of fell in love with that, that color in an instant. Now, Adam always teases me about how I like to accessorize my coaching gear and everything like that. It must've been really nice to go from purple to purple and not have to buy a whole lot of new new gear so yes it was all right so coach we have one more question for you um but before we get to that i just want to thank you again for your time coming on the show tonight and spending some time with us on the holding court podcast yeah like i said you know this is this is great uh, i think you guys are doing a great thing um i've listened to the to the ones prior to this and uh got a little choked up Honestly, I think I told Adam this, listen to Randy, just the guys that you looked up to and followed uh, their careers and obviously coach close. I mean, these guys are like icons and I don't know if they know what they meant to a lot of our guys, you know, guys our age. And, and hopefully we could do it for the younger guys. You know, we'll be that next group to, that people can follow. But uh, what you guys are doing are great. I love it. So coach, our last question, mm -hmm. uh, I've had, I've had a chance to get to know you a little bit and I've watched your teams play now for, for over a decade, uh, both at the high school and, and college level. Um, I, I would call you a player's coach. And I, I think that ability to relate to your players and give them ownership of their roles and their decisions within the team has been a large part of your continued success. Um, would you agree with that? And if so, um, how intentional are you with that coaching style in working with the young men of this generation? You know, such a great question. And here's what I would tell you. I think as a coach, you have to be who you are. I mean, that's I, I, I've just always been that guy. Right. I just have always believed in surrounding my, myself with assistance. My father. Right. Who who just love people. I mean, just love to kind of be around people and have passion for life. You know, so if that means that I'm a player's coach, I guess that, you know, that's I'll take it. Right. I'll take it. But you know, there's different ways to lead. There certainly is different ways to lead. I've always believed that from the dunk alley-oop dunk, you know, or off the backboard in the state championship to asking Colin Gurley in the final 10 seconds of a national championship game, how you feel right in this and him having the input that he does. You know, when you take yourself out of the equation, what we need to remember as coaches is this is. This is the player's journey. It's coming to an end for them at some point. You know, if we're fortunate enough to stick around and coach, like then we'll have it next year. A lot of these guys and their families don't. So this is about the players. This is about their families. It'll always be that way. I coach that way. There's some unacceptables, right? We we have one rule. I, I can't really say it. I use some other language, but just kind of you can't be a jerk. You're just not going to be a, a jerk in our program. That's it. Like, you're either a good person or, or you're not here. And it's that simple. That's the rule. You know, don't do anything to kind of embarrass us and, and those types of things. But our players know ultimately we love them. You know, I always would talk to my, my mother and father about this too. Is like, I hope that as a parent, parents can, you know, separate, you know, Mike Fulan as, as the coach and Mike Fulan the person. I still want my son to be around this guy every day. I may hate what he's doing offensively. I may hate that my son's only getting eight minutes a game, but I do like him being around him and his staff. That's my hope. That's my wish. That's my goal is for, you know, families to understand that. But like you said, we will always trust our players. You get on Twitter, 
you know, you get on all these things. There's 9,000 things that these young coaches now can run and do. It's overwhelming. The best thing I can tell you is you have to get to a point where you trust your players enough and believe in them enough, and they know you believe in them enough, where you can put the ball in their hands and you have to let go. You have to let them do what they train and what they are going to do. You know, we demand the defensive side of the floor. We demand, you know, certain things and passion and playing hard, but I'm going to trust you. If you're going to come to me at a practice and, and you have some equity with me, you've been there for two or three years, and you're going to, Coach, I need a break. My, my ankle hurts. I need to be ready for Wednesday or Saturday. I'm going to be like, absolutely. You know, a lot of coaches can't do that yet. You have to have that, you know, that confidence in your program and the way you do things to, to do that. So our players, I think, can come to me for anything, and they do. I feel like I can say and do what I want to them, but a lot of coaches can't because they know I love them, you know, and if, like we'll be texting probably that night. I'll call them knuckleheads and they'll call me a knucklehead and tell me love each other and see at practice tomorrow and try to win a game. So I think players, coach, there's probably other terms to use, but I love my players. I've loved them for the 20 plus years I've coached. I love them to the day they die. Some are going to love you more than others. You know, a lot of that's based on, you know, the experiences that they've had, but that's not going to change the way I feel about them. Thanks for listening to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with us on Twitter and Facebook at Ohio BK Coaches, on Instagram at OHSBCA1947, and online at www.oh.nhsbca.org. Until next time.